Gethsemane is where we're going to be. Turn there if you're in, in your word, if you would. Let's pray. Father, thanks for today. Thank you for a church community. Thank you for family. Thank you for this tribe. I pray that nothing would divide us, but Christ would unite us. I pray that while the distractions are abundant, that our souls and our minds would be fixated and focused solely on you and your word. Lord, may we know that your truth is delightful. May we know that your word is pleasurable. May we know that your word is, is satisfaction and delight. May we know that it is your word and your truth that allows us a connection with you. And thank you that this is all possible because of Jesus. Be glorified, work powerfully in our lives, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So as we speak right now, there is billionaire getting ready to be launched into space. So don't Google it because it's live on YouTube right now. So don't, don't look at it. So Richard Branson, worth $7 billion, 71 years of age, is taking a team, including himself, six people into space on a ship called Unity. Write down that word, Unity, because this is important. Why? Because he wanted to beat Bezos to be the first one in the space. Because Bezos is going next week on a ship called New Shepherd. Write that down. Two men worth gobs of billions of dollars heading into space. Why? Because at the heart, there has always been within man and woman this desire to explore other regions. Why? Perhaps we can make a better life out there. Unity. New shepherd. Right? There's, there's got to be something out there that exists that's going to be better for humanity. Problem is if you take humans with you, you're going to ruin the, the, the chase. <laughs> you're going to ruin, you're taking the problems with you. See, why? why? Because we think problems exist outside of us when we re have to realize the problem exists within us. Let me tell you a story about I have an 11-year-old this week. 11-year-old out of Belgium. His name is Laurent Simons. He actually, at 11 years of age, just graduated with a bachelor's degree in physics. What did you guys do when you were 11 years old? I was chasing girls and throwing rocks at them. So Laurent, 11 years of age, graduating with a bachelor's degree in physics, took just a year to complete his program. So what's next for this child prodigy? Simone's is doing research that he hopes will someday enable him to replace all of his body parts with mechanical ones. Why? He says his goal, immortality. So there's, a, there's the exploration for better life there. There's the exploration for longer life here. Can I just tell you, both groups will be sorely disappointed. You can't escape the problems that exist within us. And you were never designed, at least on this side of eternity, to live forever. So, so what, what does God have for us? He has for us this, this life that's been 
given to us. This is a gift for us to explore the deepest part of who we are only in light of who he is. You cannot live life and chase immortality. You can't live life chasing what's out there without first, first settling your relationship with the creator and the maker of all. This is the beauty of, of why God has us in relationships with one another. This is why this, just this past week I had at least four conversations with Sozo customers about spiritual things. And you know what? Every single one of these people have talked about is the fact that it's hard to, to love people that you don't get along with. It's hard to, to be loved by people who don't know things about you that you're, you're living in shame and, and guilt with and people who have been hurt by Christians or the church. And you know what? I feel like God has me in a, in a place to let people know that it's okay. We've, we've all got our crap. Matter of fact, maybe we all need to do bumper stickers on our cars and say, hey, we all got our crap. <laughs> um, but I'll tell you what, what makes it all different is that if you have God, at least there's a common goal. If you have Jesus, at least there's a common objective. And, and God doesn't want us to live lives of, of on, the, on the surface and superficially. He, he wants us to go deep with one another. And, and to be okay with that, because I know if I go deep with you, you're not going to condemn me or judge me. But if we go deep with one another, there's going to be an exchange of grace and mercy, compassion and kindness. Because legalism and perfectionism doesn't get you anywhere. And the more legalistic people are, it's the more they're trying to hide their own crap so that they can project their stuff onto you to make you feel worse. And you know, we need to stop that. This, this passage today is where Jesus gets practical. He's been dealing with theology, and he's been dealing with morality, and he's been dealing with, the, with politics. Today, he gets practical. As he's getting ready to leave the temple where he's been teaching, he gets really, really practical. And I love this section of scripture. And there's going to be fam fam some familiar territory for you, and I'm, I'm excited for what God's going to kind of tease out for us. But before we get to Luke 20, uh, Mark 12, I love this because this is a great jumping off point. It ties in with what we we're just talking about. Mark 12, look at this. So they came to him and said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and you do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Isn't this cool to have Christ as truth who no matter what kind of facade we continue to try to prop up, he does not care about appearances. He cares about your heart. See, this is the jumping off point that we need to realize that we have a savior who knows all about us. You can't hide from him. The best thing to do is come fully surrendered to him and know that he is true and that the only opinion you should really care about is his. And what does he think about you today? He loves you unconditionally. He loves you perfectly. He loves you exactly where you are, as you are today, but he's going to change you because he's got a better plan for your life than you have for yourself. So we jump to Luke 20. Turn your Bibles there if you would. We're going to finish Luke 20 and go into Luke 21. I was talking to Lori this week. Chapter divisions are, are man-created. Sometimes we stop when we should continue. 
right? So all the chapters, the verses, that's all man created. Why? Because we all need to have an address, right? Like I live at 5004 West Chicago Circle North, right? If I just said, oh, come to my house, you're like, where, where do you live? So the, the chapter verses and numbers and chapter divisions have all been man created. Why? So that we can have a place to go to and know where to look, right? Because we'd be here all the I'd be like, hey, turn to Luke in that one area. You're like, where is he? So Luke 20 is where we're going to be, verse 45. Let's read together into chapter 21 and then tease out what I believe are the important points that I believe God wants us to hear this morning. So while the people were listening, he said to the disciples, beware of the scribes. Circle the word beware, right? Look out. Beware of dog, right? Don't mess with it. Beware of the scribes who, so he tells you why to beware of them, who like to walk around in long robes and love respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at the banquets. Jerks, how dare they, right? Verse 47 and they devour widows' houses and for appearances' sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. And as he looked up, he saw a, the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a certain small poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I say to you, this poor widow, her, we don't know her name, that, that poor widow over there, she put in more than all of them in the offering because out of her poverty, poverty, she put all that she had to live on. May God write his eternal truths upon our hearts. How many of us know the account of the poor widow? But how many of us didn't include the preface of her story about the hypocrites, right? He's given us a contrast here. He's saying there's a difference between those who live lives of pretense and those who live lives of piety. Those are the two points this morning. First point, the lifestyle of pretense that glorifies self. These are the legalists, these are the Pharisees, these are the Sadducees, these are the scribes, these are the zealots. This is the whole group, right, who have the appearance of living for God, but they're only living for themselves. And that's a life of pretense. If you're not familiar with the word pretense, this is hypocrisy, this is duplicity, this is, this is surfacy religion and faith. And I'm going to tell you this morning that Jesus denounces false faith more than he denounces everything else. Here's one thing I know that Jesus hates, pretense, and he calls it out like that. You read the Gospels, how many times does he attack the, the religious leaders? Why? Because they should know. His fury is apparent. His indictment is, is emphatic. He can be so patient with prostitutes. He can be so gentle with tax collectors. He can be so forbearing with the persecutor of a church guy named Saul. He can be so kind and merciful and gracious to a thief on a cross. But he, when he sees the pretense of religious leaders, he comes down with full fury upon them. Boy, what a word for the church today. We want to make it a battle about everything out there. Listen, the battle has to do with your life 
authentically before God and before others. The most difficult area of our lives because, again, we think that hiding is the solution. We think that disclosing and, and, and living in our shame and sins is the, the thing, and we don't know what it means to live vulnerable, vulnerable, transparent lives with one another. Someone once said this, no person can foster the impression that he or she is great and then try to exalt a great God. You, you can't do it. You can't be a person that loves position, prominence, power, and prestige and think that you're going to love Jesus. Because what's the antidote to that? It's a word called humility. Write that down. Humility. Unfortunately, we live in a, in a day and age, and, and it's, this is true for generations, where the unspoken word is this, and, and maybe some of you have never heard the word. We live in a meris, meritocracy. You ever heard meritocracy before? Merit. Write down that word, merit. We live... And all groups, tribes, nations, countries live in a meritocracy. Why? Because deep down in our humanity, we've created these social systems, great or small, informal or formal, where people earn rewards or status based on achievements that their social system values. We have created in our culture a meritocracy. And you're only as valuable as what you accomplish for the good of this social system. And this has crept over into the church. Like the things you do are more important than the person you are. Muy dangeroso. I'm saying that for my, I'm trying to be bilingual here. Very dangerous. It's to think that God is primarily concerned about your merits. I mean, think about nice people in the world we recognize a person like William Shakespeare why because of the, the the contribution to literature you know nothing about the person you only value them for what they produce Abraham Lincoln right order president Steve Jobs right we we think of people and place value on them based upon I don't want to live in that kind of world where I'm only valuable because of my achievements. Can I, do you want to live in that kind of world? Because I'm going to tell you right now, there's a, there's a billion people that have already surpassed achievements are concerned. This people today depressed, discouraged, hopeless, because it's all about Hey, how many TikTok followers you got? How many friends you got? How many? What, what are you doing? Last thing I checked, last time I checked, God said, you are not human doings, you are human beings. Be still and know that I am God. The Psalms. Don't you know that mercy and kindness chase God chases you with those things because he wants you to slow down and realize it's not about the the the, the charade the the facade the pretense it, it's about you being authentically who who you were created to be so Jesus calls out three things in this passage he calls out pride he calls out greed he calls out hypocrisy
And he says, this is for those who chase shallow religion. This is those who chase a dead God. Don't be prideful. He calls it out, verses 45, 46. Don't be like the guys who are going out there with their long robes, right? Expect them to be seen in marketplaces and, and called like these grandiose titles and have the best seats in the, in the synagogue and the best places at the banquets, even though those all like sound so appetizing and good and fun. Don't be chasing after those things, right? Don't be wrapped up in appearances and recognition and power. Because you can love those things and not love God. I love when I meet people for the first time and they find out I'm a pastor. Usually the first response is, oh, you're a pastor? I don't know if that's good or bad. I get couples that call me like, can you officiate our wedding? I think they're expecting someone like with this like Pope type hat and a staff. Like, pardon me, wants that? Like, that'd be kind of fun. Like, oh, wow, this guy's serious, right? <coughs> I don't know what to call me. I mean, trust me, there's times I'm like, you can call me most holy reverend. That, that's fine. <laughs> holy papa, reverend, pastor, minister. You know what I do? I, I, call me Scott. It's the person that goes ahead and calls me Scooter that I did not give them permission to do. Like, I go, really? You can call me Scooter if you want. I had someone say that the other day. Someone called me Scooter, and they're like, is that like your nickname? I'm like, no, that's just what they call me, <laughs> right? Why? Because I, I've given up chasing recognition and fame and popularity. You know what? It's, 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 a, it's a dead end. Stop. Just be you. Just be you and stop seeking recognition and stop keeping up appearances. And just stop trying to chase power and just be yourself. God says Christ is calling that out. Because it's, it's empty. You know what else is empty? Greed. Greed is empty. Look what it says in verse 47. Jesus calls and says, you guys devour widows' houses. This means these men who are in spiritual positions have taken advantage of the most vulnerable group in their culture. Women who have lost their husbands, who have, have no position in society because they're no longer married, they can hardly pay the bills themselves, and the religious leaders come in and abuse them. What a sick, sick culture where the powerful prey on the vulnerable. The marginalized are abused, and it starts in the church. It starts with people who claim to love, to love God. Let me just tell you, leadership that abuses is not leadership worth following. can't tell you how many people I've talked to who have been, been built out of money because, oh, this TV preacher, this radio preacher, this podcast preacher, they said send me their money. So I sent them my money. How much did you send them? All of it. What? Just recently, Jim Baker. You guys remember Jim and Tammy Faye Baker? If you forgot about them, there's actually a big movie coming out with uh, Andrew Garfield and Jessica Chastain playing the Bakers. So as if we need more fodder to, to say, yeah, look how nasty evangelicalism is. Yeah, right. Like, so the eyes of Tammy Faye Baker's coming out to a theater near you. But Jim Baker just recently, a couple months ago, 
got fined $150,000. Why? Because he and his church were, were selling this COVID cure-all medicine. Good job, Jim Baker. Again, Travis Sam Mockery. That's what we call that sometimes. Travesty, mockery. You're using the name of religion, claiming that God gave you this cure-all for COVID. And you're bilking people out of millions of dollars. Well, he's fine. And again, it just shows you that people will take advantage of the vulnerable. People will take True devotion does not come from you manipulating others. True devotion to God comes when you start serving one another and especially the weak among you. Humility. Last thing Jesus calls out is this. Hypocrisy. He calls on the church and he says, listen, stop pretending, right? He says, you offer long prayers to cover up your, your, your crap. Stop masquerading as someone who has it all together and start living as someone who's got issues just like all of us do. Turn to the neighbor next to you and say, you got issues. And I say, I've got issues. <laughs> High five, fist pump, we're in this together. Right? No one walks through those doors. And I was, talking, I was talking to a customer this week. I said, the thing I want people to realize when they walk through the doors, at least of the Missio Day community on Sunday morning, is that they're not looking around going, boy, these people have it all together. I don't fit in here. Because guess what? Your life's a mess. And guess what? My life's a mess as well. And we can still smile and drink coffee and just keep going, right? Yeah. So he calls out hypocrisy. Stop practicing your faith to be seen by others. Stop covering your sin instead of confessing it and repenting of it. Jesus, Jesus issues a warning, right? If you're pursuing power, greed, living this duplicitous, fake kind of life, what does he say? There is, at the end of verse 47, greater condemnation coming. You need to get right today. Just stop living the sham. Get real. And know that true biblical leadership doesn't seek the limelight. It doesn't seek power. It doesn't seek prestige. It doesn't seek reputation. What I love about leadership at this church and what we try to cultivate are those people who want to serve one another. The true leader in the church is the one who serves others. In humility. And the people who point us to the cross of Christ. Th those are the kind of men and women I want to partner in ministry with. Amen. So Jesus says, stop living a lifestyle of pretense because pretense only glorifies self. You have been created to glorify God. So how do we do that? You need to pursue a lifestyle of piety that glorifies God. Piety is a good thing. It is an honest, humble relationship before the Almighty. Piety is something that is celebrated. Why? Because true piety biblically glorifies God. You have a choice. Do you choose to live your life to glorify yourself or do you choose to live life to glorify God? There's not any third alternative. 
there's not any middle ground, right? And I want you to live a life that glorify God, glorifies God. This has been taught throughout Scripture. It's been taught throughout history that the chief end of man and woman is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. For those of you who are like, oh, you hear the word catechism. Some of you are like, are like ah, Catholic Church, ah. catechism. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. How are you doing that? Well, there's a widow who stands in stark contrast to the religious leaders. And she shows us how to live our lives. Unnamed, unannounced, not famous. She doesn't have a billion followers on TikTok. She, she comes in and she is the contrast to what Jesus has just spoken about. And Jesus celebrates her life. And so this is true piety. This is true worship. This is true spirituality. Notice verse 1, chapter 21. He looks up and he sees the treasury. And it's Passover week, so there's extra traffic this time. And the treasury was this room that had 13 like containers that collected the offerings and boy people would walk in with their bags of coins and dump in their coins and it would it probably sounded like a las vegas casino right and there were probably some who were they had to have helpers with their offering and they're all dumping in money right and yet jesus is unmoved by the rich and the wealthy you know who moves Jesus? It's the poor widow who comes in with these two slivers of copper and she puts them in. That is Jesus' poster child of piety. Why? Why would Jesus pick her? Why would Jesus say to the disciples, guys, come here. Check this out. And they're like, what? The guy with the big, long, flowing robe? Not him. The guy with the big Pope hat? Not him. The guy with hefty bags full of money? Not him. No, no, no. The woman who's bent over, looking poor, looking disheveled, who's barely got anything in her hands. If you, if you blink, you miss what she puts in the offering. I want you to look at her. And they look at her. And Jesus is looking at her. And he says, there is true worship. So Jesus said, beware of the scribes. Remember verse 45? But in contrast, he says, but follow this widow. Stop following the popular and start following the unassuming. S stop following those who have a reputation and a position and have power and start following those who are unnamed and undignified. See, when God measures the life of any single person, he doesn't count, he weighs. This is the difference. When God looks at your life, he does not count, he weighs. And what do I mean by that? Because he weighs the heart. He doesn't count the money. 
He weighs the motivation, doesn't count the dollars. He doesn't count how many times you were at church. About 2020, I made it 48% of the Sundays. Oh, good. Enter into the joy of your master. I don't know what that voice was, but. <laughs> see, Jesus does something wonderful here. He, see, you didn't know this is actually a, a talk on, on money. And you're sitting there somewhere like, oh, I knew it. Going to church, there's a pastor talking about money. It's not me, it's Jesus. So I blame Jesus. But what does he say about money? He says money is the greatest revealer of where your heart's at. See, it's interesting that Jesus, he talks about money a lot, and, and we're never one to, I don't have a big thermometer up here like, hey, we're going to reach our monthly goal because we're this far on the thermometer, therm, you know. We have a little mailbox right there in the corner, and we're trusting you guys to give. But it's not so much what you give. My, more, my main concern is how you give, how you live. See, Jesus is he's going to bring, he's going to say that this woman and her Giving reveals so much about her heart. He doesn't want you to miss this. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Who said that? Was that Abraham Lincoln? John F. Kennedy? C.S. Lewis? Definitely not him, but Jesus Christ for sure. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. You can talk a good talk and say, oh, 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 I give to my church. Yeah, you may, you may give, but do you truly give? Because Jesus was giving not so much in what you give, but by what you keep. And this woman, what does Jesus say? She gave it all. Literally, the, the language says she gave her life. She gave her life. Because there's something she knows about her God who has given all for her that she doesn't think an unpleasant exchange at all to give all back to him. You see how this works? If we truly understand the gospel... And that God has, has loved us beyond anything we would ever deserve. That God has provided grace and mercy and kindness and that without end. Sometimes so stingy in what we give back to him. He owns it all any, anyways. This woman models for us true piety. What does true worship look like? It means there is nothing in my life that doesn't belong to God. Anytime he wants it, he can have it. Anytime he wants to use it, he can use it. Because in the end, nothing belongs to me. It all is his. Psalm chapter 24, verse 1. Even Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3, says, The Macedonians, who were poor and didn't have anything, they gave! 
more than the rich Corinthians did. And Paul uses their giving as kind of a, a little prod on the Corinthians, being like, you guys got it. Why are you withholding it? The Macedonians, they gave out of their poverty. When people are moved by God, don't stand in their way. Because it would be like you and me to go, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Widow, you don't want to give all that. That's all you got. Keep one, give one to God. You know what she would say? Get out of my way. Because you don't understand the power of my God. Don't sometimes we, we prevent people from, from worshiping God? Because our math, we think it works. And for the widow, she's going, God plus surrendering everything equals everything. Have we learned that equation? <laughs> God plus surrendering everything equals everything. Take that to your college algebra teacher. <laughs> Check this out. This woman reveals where her heart's at. What she gives, I'm going I'm to just put this in perspective for you. What she gives amounts to eight minutes worth of work in a work, normal work day. That's all she had. She had eight minutes worth of income. But she shows us three things. Number one, Jesus praises sacrifice. So we all heard about the, uh, the Suns fan this past week who sold his car. You didn't hear about that? Oh, my goodness. I mean, Suns, right? Hottest, hottest, hottest ticket in town. Part of me is wanting to lose at least one game in Milwaukee so they can come home and win it all. Because I'm going to go turn over cars and burn buildings. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just kidding. Isn't that what normal people do? Wreak havoc? It can cause riots? Guy this past week, everyone's talking about it, right? He sells his car to buy two tickets for him and his friend to go to the game. Would, would you do that? And I'm thinking about, this guy is so devoted to his sports team, he's ready to get rid of his car for two tickets in one game, two hours, three hours worth of worth of. And then I think about us and go, what do we sacrifice for God? Let me tell you, God's the winning ticket in town. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now. God's the winning ticket. What are you ready to sell for him? I hope so. I, I hope so. See, ju Jesus judged the poor woman's gift not by how much she gave, but how much she had left after giving, and she had nothing. That is true sacrifice. Second Samuel chapter 24, verse 24, David, this is the very last chapter of 2 Samuel. The king, David, says to Arunah, who owns this property, wants to gift the property to David so David can worship God. And you know what David says? I love this. As if David hasn't been through a lot of hills and valleys in his own life. He says at the very end of 2 Samuel, no, I will buy it from you for a price because I will offer to the Lord, my God, something that costs me nothing. Dude, mic drop, boop. Is that awesome or what? See, King David leaves us a principle and says, do not come to God and think it is a cheap relational transaction. 
the God who has given you everything deserves you giving him everything. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said this. I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I am afraid the only safe rule to give is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we're probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say that they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. Why didn't you guys go to San Diego this year? Because we give too much to God. Would that be awesome or what? People would be like, Let's be honest, and here's the phrase. May, 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 it's, we oftentimes spend everything for ourselves, and then what does God get if anything's left? I call it chump change. It's chump change. What do I got in my ashtray in my car? Who, who keeps money in their ashtray besides me? My ashtray, I've got like $100 in, in change in my car. You know, it's kind of like, oh, what do I got today, you know? Oh, nothing? Oh, I guess, God, you don't get anything today because there's nothing in my pockets. That I forgot to take out. Listen, this is, a, this is a thing between you and the Lord. But when you understand the gravity of a giving God and what he's done for you, you cannot help but well up with a spirit of sacrifice and say, it all belongs to him. Are you giving God stuff in your life that costs you nothing? Because if it doesn't hurt, it's probably not good. This widow, unnoticed, alone, unmarried, poor, without a job. There's so many strikes against her, right? She's a woman, she's poor, she's a widow. Literally, she's defenseless. And it's not the monetary value that made hers the biggest gift out of that entire place. It was the spiritual value of why she did what she did. Notice what Jesus says. No one in that, in that room gave like she gave. Because she gave sacrificially. It's not the amount. It's the devotion and sacrifice of what you do. So she, in Christ's words, put in more than anyone else. She literally put her life in the offering. So here's Jesus holding the scales of eternity. And on one side, he dumps all the offerings of all the rich and all the wealthy and all the, the, those who have reputation, right? All the shekels and denaris, denarii and gold. And, and here's the widow's two coins, the widow's two coins in the scales of eternity. No comparison. No comparison. The bigger the sacrifice, the deeper the faith. Hashtag quote of the day. The bigger the faith, the bigger the sacrifice. The, the bigger the sacrifice, the deeper the faith. How do you give? The question is, and I, and I hope that we're all mature enough in Christ. The question is, do you give or do you not give? That's not the, it's not an option. This is part of our spiritual worship. We give. 
The question is, are you in a place where maybe it is time to make it, make it so that you feel it? Salvation is free. Ministry costs money. Help us reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? Give. There's nothing wrong with that. Give. Jesus praises motivation. We'll go through these last couple ones quickly. He's observant. Jesus is observant. Not only does he note people's actions, but he assesses their motives. It's not what you give, it's how you give. And so he, not- he notices this, this woman, and the woman doesn't know Jesus is watching her. Because for her, it doesn't matter. Think about the Olympics this year, right? No spectators. No spectators. But you know what? I have a feeling. I have a feeling those athletes will go out there and still compete their guts out. Because you know what it's not about? It's not about an audience. It's about digging deep into the passions and how God has made you. So may we realize once again that while you may do things that are never seen by others, is one who always watches, and that's God. May that motivate you, right? Colossians chapter 3, right towards the end, he says, work. Paul writes and says, work and do a good job at your job. Why? Because you may not like your boss, but you're not ultimately working for him. You're working for Jesus who watches and observes you. See, we need to realize, and someone wrote a song years ago called Audience of One. God is always watching, and he will always reward accordingly. May nothing prevent you from your worship, especially when it comes to maybe wanting someone to see what you do. Your motivation is the love you have for God. You give, and you do it because God has moved you to do it. You know, none of us like to address I mentioned that some of you are like, ooh. The IRS doesn't care how I give, what my spirit is in giving, right? Like, no, 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 no. Don't send a check, please, unless your heart's in the right place. <laughs> right? The IRS doesn't care if you're happy or angry. The, the IRS says, pay up. That's not, that's not the way it is with God. We want you to give because God has moved your heart. Right, and it's always it's always in reflection to what he's done for us. Right, Paul says in First Corinthians thirteen verse three, he says, "If I give away all that I have and I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing." Right, the motivation, what's going on inside your heart, is the key. And I pray that you would live in that place where you would consider every action is important and it is seen by the one to ultimately you will give an account. Last point, Jesus praises humility. So here's this woman who is unnamed. She is marginalized. She is the last hero of the story you would ever think would be a hero. And yet Jesus says she embodies the greatest virtue every church community needs. You know who the greatest person in the church is? No, it's not the pastor. I appreciate you thinking about that. Uh, most holy reverend. That's what I prefer. Remember we talked about this just a while ago. You know who the most important person in the church is? Every single given time we meet is the person who's most humble, who seeks to serve others. 
humility is the greatest virtue any believer can have. And it's not something you can chase. It's something that happens in you. Humility is not something you can, uh, you know, it's like, hey, I arrived. Don't write a book on humility and how you got it. Don't write that book. Humility is the byproduct of living before a holy and righteous and gracious God. Because when you live in light of who he is and what he's done for you, you can be nothing but humble. And this woman who is unnamed, marginalized, models three things for us that I want to encourage you with. Number one, situational trust. Her devotion before God was remarkable. It is, it's convicting. Because this woman does not know day to day, hour by hour, week to week, where, where her, her income is going to come from. And yet she comes on this day to worship God. She doesn't matter who's looking, who's paying attention. She knows God's watching her. And she gives her life. And you know what that means? She has to trust God to provide for her then later on and tomorrow. So what does she model for Situationally, we go through seasons. You ever gone through a season that was difficult, that you had to trust God with, and then he got you through that, and then you didn't have such deep and intense seasons, and then another one comes along? It's a day by day, week by week, month by walk with God. But just know that he is going to take care of you. She knew this. Her life was totally surrendered and committed to God. So her devotion is seen in, in situational trust. Number two, she has universal fame. There's instruction here for us. While I said she doesn't have a billion TikTok followers, Guess who she does have? She has a church in Chandler talking about her 2,000 years later. <laughs> no, stop and think about this. I was, I was, I was meditating on this this week, and I was thinking about this woman who is unnamed, who has encouraged the church for 2,000 years, and her two slivers of copper have produced billions and billions of dollars for God's ministry. You don't think this woman is famous? I can even probably tell you non-believers who have not even gone to church who are maybe somewhat familiar with the Bible, they know her story. Oh yeah, what's the whole deal about that widow given everything she had? You know it too! Think about the universal fame. Not that she was seeking that. But what you have to understand is that your life will be inspirational for others. They will be instructional for others. They will be a motivation for others. How many people today looked at her and said, like God's going to do anything with that? Yeah, well, 2,000 years later, we're talking about her. Is that awesome or what? That's called poetic justice. The rich nameless in eternity probably apart from god we're not talking about them in a positive way we're talking about the poor widow ladies and gentlemen never discount the power of god working in your humble submission to him last point eternal commendation not condemnation let's make sure we're clear here eternal 
commendation. Why is this important? Because here's the thing sometimes we ask. Did this woman ever find out that her offering was what was being observed by Jesus and, and she was like moved by how much he, he, he thought of it? No. Did this woman become all of a sudden like an entrepreneur in her community after this event? It's the thing we do know. That I am moved by the fact that Jesus observes everything that this woman did and he's going to reward her accordingly. And you know what that does for me? It makes me say, I'm going to live my faith, trusting God today, whether you guys see it or not, because he sees it. And one day he's going to say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. And there will be no reward. You can have 10 billion TikTok followers. None of it will compare to hearing the voice of your father look at you and say, well done, good and faithful. I'm so glad Jesus didn't say, well done, good and successful servant. Well done, good and perfect servant. Well done, good and popular servant. Well done, good and reputable. Well done, good and rich. Well done, whatever. He says, faithful. Because when you serve a holy God and you have to trust him day to day, this is not about you. This is about you trusting him who has given you his life and has promised you a future. And it br brings nothing but humility because you're going to stand before him and say, it is all of you and not of me. And when you live that kind of life, the people of this world may think your work is trivial and it may think it is contemptible. But I tell you what, in Christ's books, your life is weightier than anyone else's. One day God will square up all accounts. He'll reward the faithful. He'll make everything right. He is sublimely equal opportunity when it comes to the stuff I'm talking about. None of the stuff I've talked about says, oh, oh, you're not educated? Oh, well, you're, you've got a hall pass. Oh, you're not wealthy? You've got a hall pass. Oh, oh you, you don't have titles in front of your name or after your name? You've got a hall He is sublimely equal opportunity in saying this is for everybody in this room. Socio-demographic, skin color, education, money in your bank, three, four houses, it doesn't matter. You have a responsibility to live the way God wants you to live. So let's let, let's let this woman's faith encourage us to live lives of true piety for a God who has given you everything to live the life he wants you to live. Stop taking cues from the world Start living with your God in reality and truthfulness and let him guide your steps day to day. He's a God worth giving all for. He's a God worth giving your life for because he did it for you. And all God's people said, man, let's stand, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for being so good to us, for being so kind to us, for being so merciful to us. Forgive us for the ways we have felt. Forgive us for the ways we have perhaps felt entitled.
Forgive us for the ways we've maybe looked at others to put them down to make ourselves feel superior. All I know is that before Christ, we stand naked and we stand poor and we stand helpless. And yet there's something remarkably freeing about that feeling. That there's ultimately nothing we can, we can fall back on or lean on outside of you being the kind of God that you are. So Lord, sustain us with your mighty hands. Strengthen us with your mighty grace. Guide us in the paths of wisdom and help us to be agents of mercy to a world around us that they're lost without you. Thank you for setting your affections upon us and loving us with the great love that you've shown us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Lord, may we live lives earnestly and honestly and vulnerable and transparent before you and let's, let's make it our goal. Help us make it our goal each and every day to, to point to you. Let's not take any credit for ourselves, but we want to just, we want to glory in you and you alone. Thank you for all that you have given us in Christ Jesus. Be glorified in our lives this day and forever. And we pray this in his name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his face towards you and give you his grace and peace forever. Yeah, we're going to pray for Brenda. Brenda, come on up here. Brenda is uh, she just said she needs help. And I said, don't we all? <laughs> Good and faithful. Good and faithful. De- uh, Brenda was a deacon with us for a while. More importantly, she's a sister in this community, in this family. Proud to call her a sister in Christ. God has used her tremendously to love and bless and encourage people, especially women. Uh, Brenda has got an amazing testimony, has been used by God to, to bless us. We get to send her to Payson to continue to bless other people's lives because people need to be blessed in Payson. Amen. She, I think it's an escape from the heat. I'm going to, I'm going to, she says it's about ministry. So I'm going to, I'm going to, we can debate that, but she's going, she's going to Payson. We're going to pray for her. We're going to thank God for her faithfulness to us. And uh, if you're ever in Payson, make sure you, you look her up because if there's anyone with a smile on their face in Payson, they've probably been blessed by Brenda. That's what I'm thinking. So. Um, let's pray. Uh, um, you want to pray for Brenda? They've heard me enough. They need to hear, (laughs) they need to hear my wife. Oh, Father God, we just love this.